Welcome back to B2B Revenue Leaders. Today, I'm joined by Emma Stratton. Emma is the founder at Punchy, where she helps B2B companies with their positioning and messaging. So, of course, that's what we're talking about today. I've been through it a bunch. Position and messaging is hard every single time, but so important. Emma breaks down a bunch of practical tips, a bunch of things you can try out to really improve in that area. So let's dive right into the conversation. Hey, Emma, welcome to the show. Hey, so good to be here, Dustin. Yeah, I'm happy that you joined me. We, uh, I think I mentioned just before this, we just went through positioning and messaging. It is really hard. So going to pick your brain here and learn a little bit. Um, so before, you know, you joined here, we sent you a form to fill out and, and I quote, you said, messaging has the power to make a good product look bad. I've seen that happen both ways as well with really good messaging, but would love to know why you think that happens so much, especially, you know, in B2B tech. Yeah, I mean, it really happens in B2B tech. So what I found is that a lot of times people sort of assume, hey, if our product is awesome or our tech is great, messaging is a nice to have, right? It's like that mm. icing on the, uh, on the cake. And actually the opposite is true in B2B tech because things are so technical and there's so much competition. Uh, it's very easy for teams to dive straight into the weeds, explain, right, the technical differentiation and get into the AI and the ML. And it ends up kind of muddying or completely obscuring the value of your product to a human being. And so it can make an amazing product look really uninteresting or irrelevant or even boring to someone. And this is what I see happening so much in the space. Yeah, I've seen that. I think part of it is, you know, they created this awesome thing, which took so much work and they're so proud of it and... You know, they just want to talk about all the cool little intricate details. So how do you help them step back from that? Because it can be hard to get out of that mindset, I bet. I bet. Yeah. So one of my favorite things to do with teams that I work on in engagements is I have this slide where it's a simple table, two columns. And on the left, it says what we say makes us different. And on the right is what customers say makes us different because it's always really different. So typically on the left-hand side, you know, you'll have all that technical differentiation, the AI, the, you know, the secret sauce, the way we do things. And on the right side, you have these really simple value-focused messages like, it's just simpler. Um, I don't have to put a lot of resources managing it. It just works, you know, responsive team. And I think it's always a really good wake-up call for teams to really just see like, hey, customers are not thinking about it in this granular technical way like we are because they're on the outside, outside in, and we're on the inside, inside out, looking at all the, the, the wires and, and the secret sauce under the hood. And so just helping people see like it's two really different perspectives. Messaging's job is to kind of meet in the middle and connect those two things. So I think just customer, customer, here's how they see it. Here's what they say. They don't talk about it that way. They never mention that stuff in, uh, in the interview. So going back to the customer is always kind of my go-to. For sure. And I think the interesting thing about that table is the one side with the company, it is very much like faceless corporation talk, kind of. <laughs> yes. Whereas the other one is an actual person using, you know, normal, everyday words. And to me, it could be a personality thing. But what resonates with me when I'm reading a web page or an ad is, does it sound like someone's talking to me or does it sound like someone is writing an essay or a thesis? Yeah. Right? Yeah, I was speaking to a product marketer. She had a really great way of talking about it. She said, it's like imagining this robot wearing three ties, like talking to you, right? It's just like really formal 
Um, yeah, it's just so easy. I think I think we just see so much of it out there, that kind of language that it's sort of like we copy or we feel like that's what we should do because it's really common, even though when you think about it, it's like, no, why, why are we talking this way? Let's just talk like normal people. <laughs> yeah, 100%. Like my team is probably really annoyed with me saying this, but often they will send copy to me and then I will say, you know, is that how you would say it to a friend or is that how you would explain yes. it to like your kid or your mom or sister or whatever? Um, and it just breaks them out of that habit. And I'm guilty of that too. It's not a them problem. It's a everyone who writes anything problem, I think. It totally Do you have any is. tips for people to like get out of that mindset? Yeah. Well, I have an exercise that I run with teams because I, I train marketers in messaging and positioning and it's very similar to what you do to your teammates. I just call it um, uh, talk at the barbecue. You know, how would you say it at the barbecue, right? So yeah. the idea of um, how would you actually say that to another person? Because the first impulse is to use that technical kind of language. It just rolls off the tongue because we're used to describing it that way internally. And just saying like, wait, okay, loosen up, right? How would I actually explain this to, to a person? And people tend to get really straight to the point and simple. And I often say to them, there, that way, say that, write that down. You know, you just said it. So really trying to get natural phrasing, natural words, the kind of things you would actually say in conversation is how you have that natural writing. The, the biggest thing we have to work against is that impulse when we're at the computer and we're typing and that, that B2B bullshit just flows out of our fingers, right? It's almost reflexive. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. And, and it's not our fault. We all do it. I mean, I, it comes out with me too. And it's just acknowledged that that happens and just always go back and think, is there, is that how I would say it? Is there a more casual way to say it? Um, even just as an exercise, like, Hey, that's fine. But how else might I say that? And you might just come up with kind of a simpler, more everyday way of, of putting it. Yeah. It's, it's definitely a skill set to own and practice of simplifying and you know condensing and just saying it in a human way I, I am curious if you ever get pushback from companies who think that we can't talk conversational we're in this very technical you know industry we have to come with elevated positioning and messaging and you know that type of angle so that do is... you ever get that pushback and if you do how do you you know get them out of that yes so that does happen and sometimes it can be really hard it depends on the culture it really does if it yeah. is a strong culture it can be very hard to displace um but typically there's always i've got some champions in the room who want the the human way i think one thing is to point to some other really successful brands in the space whether in their direct space or just sort of well-known ones like one company that always comes up is stripe people love stripe yep. they love stripe straightforward plain uh language so Turning to, you know, calling a, an industry leader, leader like that and just say, like, look at how they write. Isn't it great? And people will be like, yeah, it's great. <laughs> right. So that's that's one way to do it. Then other ways, the customer even showing um, whether it's product reviews online or actual transcripts, just being like, this is how people are talking. They do not talk like this um, is another way to go. So those are kind of the two ways. You can get into like messaging testing and things like that, but I think high level FOMO, like look at these other great companies. And I often say, you know, it's modern. Like this is the modern yeah. trend is to speak this way. And the, the robot way is kind of the old school, like you're not cool way, you know, and helping people understand yeah. that as well. And, and that usually helps. But I think when a lot of times when people are really holding on to that technical 
but then they see something that is a more everyday, casual, customer-focused way of talking about it, it usually, they usually kind of get it then. They're like, mm -hmm. oh, yeah, I, I can see it. So I think a lot of times people need to see the language. They need to kind of have a bit of that education to really cross over. Because again, if writing and communication sort of isn't your natural thing, um, it, it's hard. You're thinking about it in an abstract way. So helping people see, showing like, hey, look at Stripe. Aren't they great? Right. And it can help people make that that um, move. For sure. And I think there's there's something there about having your actual brand personality and tone and having it be distinct because I've done this when I'm buying software, even in MarTech. And MarTech, I would say, for the most part, is better at this than some, you know, some oh, yeah. industries. Um, but even then, I go to 12 websites and they all look the same and you can swap the logos and I don't know who's who. But then you have other ones who have a super distinct personality, like uh, like Gong is a good example. Yes. Very strong personality. can kind of tell by their copy who they are. Yes. It's just how do you, like, I think everyone wants to do that. It's yeah. just really hard to get your positioning and tone down. So what are some steps people can take, you know, starting from scratch there? I think, so it is hard. You, Gong has always impressed me. When I, I think when they first did like a big rebrand, probably, I think it was like 2018, 2017. I can't remember. I came across them because working with a competitor, well, someone in this space. And I thought, damn, this is good. This is a company that understands investing in brand because the style and the swagger and the attitude was just really, really good. So part of it is it has to be a decision to, to, take, to invest and to understand that brand perception is a huge differentiator. It does drive value. It is not a straight ROI thing, but that it is valuable. So, I mean, that's the big thing. Like you gotta be, you gotta know it's important and be willing to invest in it. There's a couple companies that I know that have understood that and invested really early in it. And it, it, it panned out. It did work mm -hmm. for them. Um, a cloud guru was another one I worked with that had just this amazing brand personality that their competitors just could not copy. So it really does give you an edge, but you have to, you have to value it from leadership. You have to agree to put the money in. So once you've decided, okay, we're going to invest in it and put the money in it, then you have to get brave. So being different, standing out, Doing it differently than everyone else is scary. Like you want to do it in theory, but then you start thinking about the TAM and like the market and the investors and that takes all the fun out of it, right? You can get really scared and you start thinking like, oh God, are we going to lose like our easy kind of prospects? We're going to turn people off. And that's when you want to really get clear on like, who are we trying to attract? Where is there a white space? What is everyone else saying? How are they sounding? How can we be different? Will that connect with the type of people we're trying to speak to? And then being bold and just going for it. Um, it's, it's not easy and it is scary. Mm -hmm. But I think if you can take a calculated risk and just be very clear on like, hey, there's an opportunity here, differentiation, connecting with a certain mindset of customer, the rewards um, are really big. So those are the two. That's kind of my long-winded answer for you there. No, that's that's a good answer. And I think something I've seen happen, I've struggled with this as well, is more on the process side there. So almost having too many cooks in the kitchen, right? Oh, like yes. everyone is giving their two cents and then it just boils down to this watered down, generic, safe copy. So how do you advise companies there on 
who to bring into that process, you know, how to relinquish ownership to one or two people. Like what's your strategy on that side? <laughs> yeah. So the, what, the process that I have is I ask them to bring a core team together. And I think it's important to have, yeah, leadership, but a voice from each department, right? Someone from sales, someone from customer success, someone from marketing, uh, someone from product. So really having a representation of the company and bringing them on the journey from start to finish, I think is key because really everyone wants to be heard. Everyone wants their ideas to be considered. So just having everyone in the whole journey is the number one thing. I think that leads to buy-in and alignment. Um, when everyone can go on that journey and see strategically how you're getting to that that end deliverable, those words, that position, um, people feel like we we did this together. And so that's my number one thing is just getting everyone involved. Now, this is when I'm the outside consultant, so I can be the ringleader. I facilitate and make sure, right, things aren't going off the rails. There's power dynamics. I mean, the beauty of being a consultant is I can say those things to the CEO that other people don't feel comfortable. Um, and sometimes it's needed. So that is when I tend to be brought in when teams have tried to do it on their own. And for whatever reason, it's just not happening. And it usually does come down to kind of dynamics, personalities, lack of alignment, power struggles, those things. And sometimes depending on your team, it can be very hard to push through a strong, unique, differentiated position and messaging because of that. So that's kind of when you bring in the outside person who can just kind of say, say those things and force teams to really answer those hard questions. Yeah, I like how you framed it ringleader because that's really what it is. You kind of what? collecting the feedback and ushering people around. So I think that's a good way to describe it. And you mentioned positioning and messaging there. So I know, you know, sometimes marketers use those interchangeably. Oh, yeah. But I, I don't view it that way. I'm sure you don't either. And messaging is more like after you have your positioning. So to jump back to the positioning side, though, I know it starts with customer stories, but are there particular, you know, frameworks or a path to help people actually understand this is our audience. This is who we sell to. This is why they care. You know, that foundational positioning. Yeah. I mean, I'm a huge fan of April Dunford's approach um, in her book, Obviously Awesome. She has a, a framework, which is around that, which is around what is our secret sauce? What is the value that that secret sauce offers to a, a defined target audience? And those are kind of like the three ingredients. And she has a great framework. And when that book came out, I was like, you are the best. This is exactly how I think about <laughs> things. So I love that framework. Um, but when I do positioning with teams, I take a kind of simpler approach around, hey, let's put a stake in the ground. I mean, to me, positioning is stake in the ground focus. We are going to be this and sacrifice all these other things we could be. I think sacrifice is one of the biggest parts of a clear positioning, not being everything to everyone or saying we do all the things. So for me, I like to ask teams, you know, okay, if we're going for a certain type of audience, what are, what's their mindset? Because it's not just, it's not an industry or a vertical or a demographic. It's a type of person who thinks a certain way and wants a certain thing. So getting into that mindset, like the kind of, of thinker, the kind of person, um, is is a really important thing and then thinking like okay we could we're, we could stand for this 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 well which one if we could only stand for one thing 
what would that be? And so when you're kind of evaluating what that one thing could be, you want to look at your competitors. What are they standing for? So where's the opportunity? But also, what is so authentically true to who we are today and where we're going as a company or where the product is going? What is at the core? What I found is teams are always very clear about that core. And it's always been there. And even as the product evolves, that kind of core, that core vision is always there. But the shiny objects, the fear, the obsession with the hot new startup that got the big valuation and all the funding, the market dynamics, all these external things get people scared and get them to question and think they should change. And I often just bring them back to like, hey, this is always what you set out to do. The way you're doing it is evolving. But just get, let's get more focused on telling that story and more clear. So that's what positioning really is to me. There's a stake in the ground and sacrificing like all the other uh, stuff that could distract from it. Yeah, I like the simplicity and the authenticity because that just makes life easier when you write and yeah, for messaging, yes. right? Like if you have to be inauthentic and it's really complicated and convoluted, good luck writing that. Yeah. So I like that simplification. Um, I also copy April Dunford stuff and kind of mix it with Andy Raskin stuff and take, you know, a few different areas. Um, yeah. yeah, it's I I find hard the part you outlined of getting people to simplify and agree like this is our spot. We're going to ignore that other piece of the pie or, you know, that market. So any any like yeah. tactical tricks almost of yeah. how to work that magic to get them to agree to that? Yeah, I actually just did this the other week with a team um, and I did a slide. So I had a company that was sort of like there was the they were competing. They came from legacy. They were like the next gen and the legacy players. Yeah. But then there was this kind of like new hot new startup people popping up like, you know, which which happens so much. You've got the legacy people who are trying to do everything. Then you get the hot cloud native startup and they were kind of like in the middle. And so, again, it was like, are we going to go for that market or this market? And, and they hadn't really made that decision. So I did a, a visual where I was like, here's a circle with, you know, the legacy market. And here's the hot, you know, new market. This one's big. This one's little. And then kind of doing a little another overlapping circle of what we could bite out of that. And, and what made us different in each of those markets. So we could have a focused discussion on market size. And on how powerful the differentiation, our differentiation was in each. And that made it really clear that we had so much more to win in that legacy space than in this tiny little new market that was popping up. Like, yeah, the, everything would eventually go there in the next few years. But when we're talking next six to 12 months, which let's face it, in tech, your positioning and messaging, you're, you're talking this is for the next 12 months because things are constantly changing. But really like putting the picture there, the markets, how we can stand out in each of those and being able to see like, wow, there's definitely more opportunity there versus that. Getting it like a side-by-side -side visual, I think is a good way to facilitate that discussion. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a really good, good tip. And it kind of ties back to the other side-by-side -side visual, right? Like it just shows yes. the power of comparison with the, this comparison. is how our customers are talking. This is how we talk about it. And it also um, just anchors people in the, 100%. let's just anchor right here. And let's not just like have a never ending conversation about this. Let's just look yeah, at it. Put the stake in the ground, right? So, and then, so let's say they get through positioning, they have, they've developed their brand personality, you know, that core group understands it. 
In our case, we're a small marketing team. So keeping people aligned is easy. Let's say they're a 20 person marketing team with all these people writing all this different stuff. Any tips on how to keep them aligned and make sure they are adhering to the brand personality and messaging and all that since they weren't involved in the core process? Yeah. So two things. One is whenever there's a new kind of messaging, positioning, rehaul, doing a share out with other teams, whether it's in all hands or or setting up smaller groups where it's more informal and you can share and answer questions. Just take people on the journey. One gives the context. The second thing is I'm a fan of really simple uh, voice guidelines, like writing guidelines. So I hate the big over the top voice and tone, never ending. Yep. I mean, they're lovely, but no one's going to use them and they're too hard. So yeah, you can have that, I guess, for external agencies. But for teams, can you do a one-sheeter with very practical tips, very practical, like just do this that they can use for the voice? So uh, I like to teach those types of techniques, like whether it's just as simple as like, um, you know, say like you would at the barbecue, you know, um, use the active voice. Uh, like just, you know, use a, use the small word rather than the big word. Really simple things like a top seven things that are, they can put, I hate to say actionable, I hate that word, but like they can put into action and they can actually do and they can maybe just have nearby. Don't get into like the theory of it. Um, just some really, like these tips, right? It's like, if you can do these five things, it's going to be great. But if you ask people to to write like advanced copywriters and, and do these yeah. advanced voice things, I think that's too hard for for a lot of people. For sure. Yeah. I've seen both ends of the spectrum there. So, you know, the giant written style guide with every word and variant you could imagine and capitalization. And for product stuff, that's necessary, I think, yes. for consistency, um, but maybe not for the writing. And some of the best examples I've seen were actual examples as simple as we write like this. We don't write like this. Yes. And like just seeing the two side by side. Yes. It can be night and day. Um, and then I guess one last kind of to go on that topic, right? It's easy to see that and understand, but I think personalities come into play. So say you have a fun kind of interesting, maybe a little edgy brand personality. And then you have someone who's on the opposite end of the spectrum, but they're a writer. And it's hard for them to become that person. So how, like what steps can they take to get there? Yeah, no, I mean, that that is a challenge, right? I think, um, you know, I don't know if teams have the luxury of time to do something like this, but just being able to have some free writing, uh, creative brainstorming, exercising together. Because I think when you write, it's it's scary to write something and put it out there and get bad feedback and you feel, take it personally and like there's pressure. I think it's hard. So to give a team a space like, hey, we got a new voice. Let's have like a free session, you know, for the next hour. And we're just going to just practice. No bad ideas. Put it out there. People write stuff. And then like, let's give feedback. Let's say like, hey, I love that. Or how could we maybe tone that down? Or how could we tone that up? And so the whole thing becomes a learning experience. And it becomes like a safe space to just play. Mm -hmm. And I believe you, you can set a brand voice, but it's, it's going to be the company and the team that actually makes it so and codifies it and brings it to life. And it might shift a bit as you go. So to have that kind of open collaborative, like it's, let's just have fun, let's play, don't put the pressure on. And then let's, 
kind of, you know, give feedback, I think is, is a good way to go about it. If you have that luxury of time. Yeah, I think that's a good tip. And I think it's good to call out writing is scary and putting your thoughts out there is scary. It is. So like, maybe it's a me thing. I'm more afraid of writing something stupid than I am of saying something stupid. Yeah. So what helps me is just having more a conversation about the copy rather than writing initially. So maybe it's finding what works for your team, like what they feel more comfortable with, right? Yeah, exactly. And I think just acknowledging that it is scary and you feel nervous and you're embarrassed if you it looks dumb. I mean, I sense that from so many people, you know, I work with through messaging and it's real. So I think if you if you kind of speak to that and, and create a safe space where people can be creative, they can try new things because you have to try new things mm-hmm. um, to stay fresh. Like you have to. And if people are afraid that they'll sound dumb, if they they won't try something new. So it's part of that that culture you want to build. For sure. Yeah, we're all our own, our own worst critics. So like I've done a bunch yes. of these podcasts. I had an old podcast. I still hate watching them. Like, <laughs> oh, yeah, no, can't watch this. <laughs> It's like, I created this, now I never want to see it again. Yeah, it's the same way with writing. Like, you're probably noticing all those little intricate, oh, why did I say that things, whereas other people won't. So it's getting out of that mindset and just letting go. Yeah, I, you know, I think I've written so much that I, I actually, I don't have those anymore because it's just <laughs> been being out of me over the years, you know, totally. so much, so many clients. So many, so much feedback, you know, the, the highs, the lows for years that I think I am completely immune to it at this point. Although if I tried a new style of writing, I'd be absolutely terrified. Yeah, no, absolutely. <laughs> so I, I hate to use this word that you don't like, but thank you for the actionable. You're welcome. <laughs> Putting out stuff that our customers are, or um, our listeners are going to use. I, I know you have a lot of great content on your website as well and on LinkedIn. So where should people go if they want to learn more? Yeah, you can follow me on LinkedIn, um, Emma Stratton. I share, you know, every day I'm sharing things on there. Uh, but even better would go to my website, punchy.co forward slash newsletter. I have a positioning and messaging newsletter called That's Punchy. Every week I send actionable <laughs> uh, just to help folks get better at positioning and messaging uh, because there's a lot of people who ask me, you know, what can I do? And um, yeah, offering those simple tips to make it less scary and more fun. Awesome. So we'll include those links in the show notes. But Emma, thanks for joining me. Messaging is hard and you simplified it. So definitely appreciate that. (laughs) Yeah, thanks for having me. It's been fun, Dustin. Thanks for listening to B2B Revenue Leaders. So my key takeaway from this episode is really just how important simplicity is. So Emma talked about having everything written down and laid out in a simple way that people can actually follow. Too often, I'm sure we've all seen these giant written style guides with every nook and cranny you can possibly think of and all the grammar, and it's easy to get lost and kind of lose track of what you're focusing on. So I like some of her tips there to keep things simple. As always, if you enjoyed this, please reach out to me on LinkedIn, leave a five-star review. Uh, Anything you can to help the podcast is appreciated. On to the next one.